Do you know the six essential relationships every pastor needs in place to be successful? Jimmy Dodd is our guest this week discussing relationships every leader must cultivate. It's all on episode 39 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Thanks for tuning in to episode 39 of the Church Leaders Podcast. This week, we're talking with Jimmy Dodd. After 20 years as a pastor, Jimmy founded PastorServe in 1999 with a heart to provide crisis response and disaster prevention for ministry leaders. PastorServe responds when a ministry leader's life, family, or church falls into crisis, providing support, direction, coaching, and consultation on navigating through conflict and crisis, always confidentially. And now, here's our interview with Jimmy Dodd. Well, Jimmy, it is great to have you here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Andrew. Honored to be here. You know, you're the founder and president of PastorServe, uh, an organization you started, and and really have a heart to minister to pastors, ministry leaders. Can you tell us how God led you into that work? Yeah, I I pastored for about 25 years, and uh, we just found that um, more and more pastors shared with us that there was really no place to go just to be honest about their lives. Now, there would be a place to go, I think, on paper, you know, that they should speak with their district superintendent, their session, their elders, their presbytery, uh, just on and on. But uh, we oftentimes heard that they would not go there because they just had tremendous fear. And so uh, I just became, I think, a safe place for pastors to go to if they wanted to talk through their life or their struggles or their marriage. And uh, we just began to work with so many pastors that the Lord just really burdened my heart for this, Mm -hmm. that there needs to be a place for pastors to go and just really process and talk through secrets and get care, but also be actually trained in some things, as I think pastors oftentimes have a real fear of saying, I don't feel competent. I've been to school, I've been to this college and this seminary, but to be honest with you, I don't feel competent, and it's a little bit embarrassing to even ask. And so I think that we just became a safe place to call and say, I don't know how to train leaders, and I'm struggling in my marriage. I don't know what to do with my kids, and you know, I have this person on staff. There's some huge conflict. I don't know what to do in this conflict. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just became a resource for pastors. Yeah, and I know that one of the one of the things that's on your heart uh, as you work with pastors is this idea of relationships and that pastors need certain relationships in their lives. Can you talk about how you've kind of developed that idea of these relationships that pastors need to have? Yeah, it was just talking with with a lot of pastors. It's not like we just had this big, big brainstorm one day. It was just years and years of pastors. And so we begin to meet with more pastors and hear stories. And we just found that those that really did well, that they had a boss, they had a trainer, they had a coach. They had a counselor, they had a mentor, and then just a really good, good friend. And those are the roles that really begin to just emerge over time. And we found, wow, that those who were really doing well have got those roles in their life. Hmm. And so as people would come to you for help, would you kind of walk them through identifying who those people would be in their lives? And then, Yes, yeah. And the thing that uh, was always really, really disheartening was that we heard, we heard this story over and over again. Well, we're a staff-led church, and I'm the head of the staff, so I really don't have a boss because I am the boss. And I used to get some training, but I'm out of school, and I don't go to conferences anymore because I do speak at the conferences. I I, I kind of am the conference. I've not ever had a coach. Mm. I lost touch with my mentor years ago. I've not ever been to counseling because it scares me to death, and if I was completely honest, I don't have a friend in the world. Mm. We've heard that so many times, this that I don't have, you know, I don't have, have actually any roles. 
And we know that if that's the case, that that person uh, is in real trouble, mm-hmm. real trouble. Yeah. And can you talk about how you take a pastor who you may identify needs these roles? How do you encourage them to look into their community? Because I would think, you know, if I was listening to this, I would think, man, I, like, how do I find those people? And should they be outside of, of my church community? Yeah, that's that's a great question, because I think that there's always a risk in that. And I think that there can be some rules that are actually inside your church, but but there is a risk. And I think that you can have friends, but I think that you want to do everything you can to make sure that friends that you have are your friends, not because you're a pastor, not because you're a person that might have some power in their mind, because we've watched pastors really struggle and watched friends just walk away, which tells us they were never your friends. They were just there because you were the lead pastor, and it was really fun to be friends with the lead pastor, and so they were your friends, or it was really fun to be friends with the youth pastor, or fun to, you know, just on and on. So uh, we would say that it's extremely important to have friends that you would say can really be your friends through through the great times and through the really hard times as well. But oftentimes it's okay, so where do you start? I think a great place to start is just have a coach. And uh, I think that that's more and more accepted nowadays. You know, we hear more pastors say, well, I'm starting to get the fact that I need a coach, but it's it's still hard sometimes because we, we do have pushback. People would say, well, I really don't understand the need for a coach, and there's all sorts of roadblocks that they might have up for a coach. But we try to answer all of those roadblocks, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and when you talk about a coach, what are those attributes that would make somebody a great coach for a pastor? Yeah, a, a great coach can ask questions and can process with you. And a great coach does not have every answer in the world, and it you know won't won't mean that they had a— church that was a bit larger than yours and that they're always older than you and that they always have have you know just a lot more experience and I think that that's a roadblock very often it's well I would have a coach but I have a church that's this size and I really think that my coach needs to have been in in a much larger church and I really think it would help if my coach had just a lot more experience and we just oftentimes laugh at that because we think you know what in things like the sports world almost every time the athlete can do things a lot better than their coach you know, Michael Jordan could beat a guy like a Dean Smith in basketball, but Dean Smith was his coach. Why? Because he had a perspective. He had this outside perspective, and he could see things. And I think a coach can help you to see things that you need to work on. They can help you process through, through you know, some issues in the church. They can help you with plans in the church, but they can ask you a lot of questions. And I think that that's the main thing. I think you want to, uh, because I think you want a coach that really knows how to ask the very best questions. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about uh, this idea of continuing to learn and to grow. A great chapter in your book on this topic is how we need to continue in education. I think a lot of pastors think, I went to seminary, I paid my dues, I learned things that you know I quickly forgot. But how do, how do pastors think about uh, making sure that they're growing and becoming more and more equipped? Yeah. You know what? I think it's just extremely important to have a plan. And I think that if you're a pastor, that you need to have a plan, that I need to constantly be growing in just lots and lots of pastoral competencies. So that means I might go to one big, big conference every year that might be a very broad-based conference. But then I might also choose a conference that might be about conflict management, that might be about preaching, that might be about staff and leadership and those types of things. So I think we always need to have that mindset of we've got to be learning. We have to be learning. There is so much out there that we don't know. And there are so many resources and there's and there's podcasts and there's resources and there's outstanding books. We could go on and on. And I would say just make sure that you have a heart of a learner. I think that that is one of the most important things in the world. 
So the idea of like having a teacher, a person out there, who's your teacher, could it be that um, somebody might say, well, man, I listen to this podcast regularly and I'm listening to other sermons by other pastors that I respect and kind of just having this this disposition of always learning from others, or is it important to have a person, I mean, I know this could be both, but have a person who is like, no, this is the person who's always leading me towards what I need to be learning next. Yeah. You know, I think it's a lot more broad-based. I think it's, you know, that this you know week I learned from this person at this conference, this week I heard this podcast, this week I read this book. So I think that that can constantly change. Obviously, I think a mentor and a coach and a counselor need to be very consistent. But I think as far as a trainer, I think that that can change. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's great to, to hear podcasts, especially this one, Andrew. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that there's a lot of other things that you can be doing, but it's just that heart of a learner that says, I've got to constantly be growing and learning. Mm-hmm. Another one of the uh, the people that you should have in your life is a mentor. And I think of a mentor and a coach as almost like, you know, the same person in some senses. What's the difference between a coach and a mentor? Yeah, you know that a coach will... Uh, meet with you and speak with you probably twice a month at at the least, uh, that there's ongoing contact, that you meet on a very, very consistent basis, that it's not random. Oftentimes I have pastors say, well, I have a coach. And I say, wonderful. I, I should love to hear about it. Well, uh, we meet for lunch once a month and he asks me how things are going. And I say, well, it's going okay. I have this one challenge in the church. It's kind of hard. And then we just kind of process that and then we leave. And I say, that's wonderful, but that's a friend. That's not a coach. Coach, it's not a random conversation. You have said, you know what, this week I really want to talk about our children's ministry. This week I really want to talk about my own heart this week. And I feel like I'm really struggling with some things. And it's not random conversations. It's very, very planned out. Where, Whereas a mentor, you know, that you, you might talk with your mentor only twice a year. But you might say, gosh, I've got some really big things right now in my life. I've got some major decisions. And I feel like I need that wisdom and that perspective. And so I want to call and speak with my mentor or we're going to meet and have lunch and just say, well, there's some things I'm really just really wrestling with right now. And I would just, I, I want your wisdom. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be all that consistent. Mm-hmm. Now let's change gears a little bit here. Um, you know, a lot of pastors come to you and I think that, uh, you know, when you think about going out and looking for these relationships, we already have talked about it a little bit, but I think for a lot of pastors, they have that fear of if I get close to somebody, could this go bad or, you know, could I get burned? And, and there's, so there's these fears that pastors have. Can you talk about how, um, you know, some of the fears that, that pastors come to you with um, that you have to kind of walk them through? Yeah, and that's heartbreaking for us because I think that fear does drive a lot of pastors. I think that there is a fear of, well, I can't be honest with anybody because if you really knew me, you know what, you wouldn't like me. And I think that that's the number one fear that pastors have. But they need to know that's everybody's fear. Everybody has that fear. And I think that there are so many pastors who become so isolated and sin loves isolation. Sin thrives in isolation. But there are so many pastors, they have become so isolated that they just have this fear of, I think I'm the only one that really actually struggles with this. That we had a pastor that came and he met with us and said, uh, I need to talk to you about something. Okay, that's fine. Let's talk. Well, I just need to really confess some things to you. Okay. And he said, I need to make sure that this is very, very confidential. I said, absolutely, it's confidential. He said, I don't even want you to use me as like an illustration, which I've asked him if I could. So I don't want you to think, well, you're breaking that right now. <laughs> and I said, okay, you won't be an illustration. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is going to be unbelievable. Like, I, I don't know what he's going to say, but it's going to be something that's just over the top because he was so fearful. And then with tears streaming down his face, he said, I'm struggling with online pornography. He honestly, honestly thought 
he was the only pastor in America struggling with online pornography, which, which is just incomprehensible. But he was so isolated and so fearful that he thought he was the only one. And we just assured him that if we talked about it in the next week, it would be the 15 other pastors who called that week and processed that exact same thing. But there's so much fear-based. But we just have to know Satan loves to lock us up because of fear. He loves us to carry secrets. And there's a lot of pastors who carry a lot of secrets. And every morning they wake up and they have fear because they think, is today the day that somebody finds out my secret? And it's incredible that if you share your secret with just one person, so much of the weight and the burden is just released if you can just talk to one person. So we feel very, very honored that lots of pastors call us and they speak with us and they meet with us and they oftentimes say, I've never talked about this with anybody, but, and then they'll share. Mm -hmm. And we know that that's so positive for them because so much of that fear is being released. Because you know what? We're, we will love them, and we're not going to reject them and say, well, we didn't know that that was your issue. If we would have known this was your issue, we wouldn't have even allowed you in the door. We never say that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, nobody would ever say that. Uh, but yet we have so much fear in our life of, man, if people know that I'm a mess. Well, you know what? We're all a mess. Mm-hmm. That's why we need Jesus. Mm-hmm. If we weren't a mess, you don't need the gospel. So, And then the gospel, like that, talk about how when somebody comes to you and shares something, you know, that they've been carrying and, and makes that move, how then you apply the gospel to that situation? Because I think there's probably a lot of people listening right now, and, and that's them. They have that secret. How do you walk them through believing the yeah, gospel? Yeah. We, we had a pastor that uh, called and said, um, my church is a mess, my life is a mess, my marriage, my family, everything. And uh, it was a heartbreaking story. And so he started in and he said, you know that my daughter is gone. She's left. And uh, what is so hard is we can't find her. We've heard lots of rumors that she's down and she's like in this city. And so I've gone to that city and I've walked in the back streets and I've walked in the alleys and I've walked in places that have just been so dark and it's just been heartbreaking. I can't find my daughter. I love her so much. And he's obviously just sobbing on the phone. I can't find my daughter. Then, Then he talks about his marriage and there were some hard things in his marriage. And then he talks about his church. There's some hard things in this church. And then at this point, we, we've been on the phone for about an hour and a half, which is a long phone conversation. And then he says, I just feel so far from God. And I said, why? He said, because I just feel like all the stupid things I'm doing that God doesn't care anymore. I feel like my sin just pushes God so far away from me. That God is so remote and so distant. And I feel like all of my sin just makes him, it just repulses him. And I said, okay, let me just kind of back up and just kind of recap the whole conversation. Pretty much, you're like the father of the year, and God pretty much sucks as a father. And there's a long pause, and he said, dude, what? What?" And I knew he heard me, but I I said once again, "You're you're like the world's greatest dad, and God's a terrible father. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, about an hour and a half ago, you had a long, long story about your daughter and her sin drew you to her. You told me stories about how you went to the city. You looked for her, the back alleys, the whole thing. You're sobbing as you talked about her because you love her so much. You made so clear your sin is drawing you to her because you love her so much. But in your case, your sin pushes God away. So that's why I said you're the father of the year and God's not very good. And then there's a long pause, about a minute on the phone. He said, I've never thought about that in my entire life. 
That's just the basics of the gospel. It's just the basic gospel. God loves you. He's your father. He's pursuing you. He cares about you. People think, well, I just, God just, he, you know, he has no time for me in my church. Listen, God is sovereign, which means he can give you all of his attention. Because he's sovereign, he can give you all of his attention all of the time. You have God's constant, undivided attention. He is concerned with your family, your church, your children, everything. And he gives you his full attention all of the time. So many pastors have never comprehended that. And oftentimes, if you just preach the basics of the gospel, we hear a lot of, I've never heard that in my entire life. And one of the parts of your book that I love so much is you talk about the the lies that Satan specifically tells pastors and ministry leaders. And that one of the reasons that it's so important to remember the gospel is that Satan lies to us. So talk about some of the, you know, the, some of the common lies that you see pastors coming to you that they're, they've been believing for yeah, so long? That's a great question. And I, and I mean, that very top lie by far is if people knew you, that they wouldn't like you. So don't be honest with anybody. It's, you know, you do so much for God that you actually deserve this, that we know that this is just a little pornography on the side. It's a little contact with your old, you know, Facebook friend, you know, who's like your high school sweetheart. It's just, you know, because all you do for God, you actually deserve this. That's a huge one. Uh, just, just the fear of, you know, that you haven't been trained, you know, that you shouldn't be in this work, that you're not competent, uh, that you're a fool to think that you can do it, that you don't have anything that's worth saying that, you know what, you have some habits, but obviously God you know, created you that way because if he hadn't, you wouldn't keep doing these things you do. And they just go on and on. Satan, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, like as we, when we, we walk through, through this, it feels like almost every day, Satan has a very small toolbox. It's a very small, very, very limited toolbox. And the main tool that he has is he just whispers lies into our ears. And oftentimes we, we just believe him. But those are lies that we hear, you know, just constantly from pastors. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's powerful. I know one of the one of the things that you're passionate about is um, helping pastors work through their own weaknesses. I know a lot of a lot of times when we're in ministry, we're aware of weaknesses, whether it's a sin weakness or or something that we're not good at in the ministry. Um, so talk about how we can make peace with with we, the weaknesses we find in ourselves. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I'm telling you, in the past two days. Just to give you a little bit of context, I've talked about this exact issue with pastors. Uh, one guy struggles massively with huge anxiety, and he just says, I don't know what I'm doing in the pastoral role. I, I have anxiety. And it's like, I shouldn't be a pastor. I should be in any other role because I'm asked to stand up and speak massive anxiety. And I just uh, spoke with a pastor, massive depression issues. And so this, for me, has been one thing I have just stressed all throughout my life. It's a drum that I have beaten constantly because I, I have had massive struggles in my life and massive doubts with just my own weaknesses. Because from the time I was a small child, I had such a bad stutter that I could hardly speak. And I mean, that's not an exaggeration. I mean, it's like, hey, what's your name? And I'd say, I mean, I would invent reasons to leave the room. I would think I have to use the restroom, I have an appointment, I have to leave, and I mean, I would do anything in the world because I could not say my own name. It was like, uh, my name is, you know, half an hour later, Jimmy. It was just terrible. And uh, and anybody would say, well, dude, then being a pastor is probably the last thing that you ever thought that you should, absolutely. I thought it was a mean joke from God when he was like, I want you to be a pastor. I'm thinking, 
No, I want to work in the back room of some building, never speak to anybody. That's what I'm called to. But God, he made very clear, no, I want you to be a pastor. And so I had to struggle. I mean, it's been struggles. I'm at lifetime. I could tell stories for hours and hours. I could have 15 podcasts just on this topic. And yet it has been so good because really I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because it's kept me on my knees. It's kept me very humble because you know what? I I shouldn't say it. It's kept me more humble because I'm still prideful, but I think I'd be a mess without this. I mean, gosh, I'm a mess now. I'd be a bigger mess without this. Uh, It just has kept me more and more dependent upon the Lord to say, Lord, you've just made very clear. I can't do this apart from you. I have to have you. I absolutely have to have you. So you know what? In hardness and weak, just all all these weakness and in insult and difficulty, all those things. You know what? When I'm weak in myself, I am strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that pastors need to just embrace their weakness. And so if you do have, if you have anxiety, if you have depression, if you have epilepsy, if you have, you know, if you, I mean, we could go on and on with everything that, you know, God, God can use that for his glory. Mm-hmm. We know God delights and he takes the weak and he can use things for his glory. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that you know, when pastors get into relationships, when they cultivate these relationships, Another thing that can happen is we fail somebody or we hurt somebody. And you talk in the book about what to do, and and it's kind of like what everybody should do. But I think sometimes pastors feel like I have to be above failing against somebody or hurting somebody. And so talk about how pastors can respond when they've hurt somebody that may even be under their care and, and how they can walk through that. Yeah. You know what? I failed somebody yesterday, to be real honest with you. I planned a pretty big, big event and I didn't check the schedule, and I just walked right over a guy that has a much smaller event, but he saw that we had this big, big event, and he just thought, I want to have to cancel this. And, I, you know, all of a sudden it was like, oh, my word. And I had to call him and say, listen, uh, it was wrong. I have hurt you. I want to do everything I can to make this right. But you know what? I apologize to you. Would, would you please forgive me? And just admit that wrong. Uh, and it would have been very easy to have lots of scapegoats. Well, my staff didn't do the best job and all of these things, but it was, dude, you know, that that's, that's my fault. I blew it. And so just being so real that we can say, listen, we, we blow it a lot and it's okay. I mean, there's just that fear. I think that we have of, no, I can't let anybody down and I have to be perfect. But I think that that just creates more and more of like that backstage mentality of, I can't let anybody know. I can't let anybody know that. I have uh, these issues because I might let somebody down. And you know what? We will let people down. If we're real, if we're honest, if we pastor in a way that's really authentic, if we're not isolated, but we're a part of a real church and we just really involve ourselves in those things, we're going to let people down. And we just have to understand, you know what? We're not Jesus. We're not Jesus. That that will happen. It's It's okay. We can apologize and be real and be honest and move on. But I think that the churches are actually much more encouraged in saying, wow, you know, my pastor is a pretty real guy. And it was really interesting because he started his message this week and he went back to last week and said, you know, I said something that was just really flipping. It wasn't, it actually wasn't even in my notes. It just kind of spilled out. Man, I apologize because it was just really wrong. So I just want to say to this person or, you know, whoever it might be, I am so sorry uh, that I just invoked that, and uh, you know what? You, you know what? It, it was really wrong of me. That goes so far if pastors can just be honest in that way. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. Another one of the things that we hear from our audience, uh, articles that we've put out that have really been really resonated 
has to do with friendship. I think a lot of pastors feel like it's really difficult to, to cultivate authentic friends or to have a, have a friend like, like you've talked about. It's one of the six relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody came to you and said, you know, Jimmy, I, I have all the other relationships in place, but I'm having trouble like finding somebody that, that I would really call a friend, how can pastors cultivate true deep friendships? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that one of the main places to find friendships is to be friends with other pastors. There are pastors near you that have the exact same struggle, and they're starting to think, I don't know if I have anybody I can trust. You know what? There are pastors that can be really good, good friends. So we strongly encourage networking. We strongly encourage meet some other pastors and just be real and honest with them, that that is just such a great place to actually start. And then you want to take time and just cultivate some friendships. And you might have, you might, you might have a person in your, in like in your church and you think, gosh, I think that they would be a great friend. You just might want to just you know, spend some time with them. And, and um, you know, oftentimes I want to know, do they think of me as a pastor who's their friend or as their friend who also happens to be their pastor? And I want folks that want to, you know, that first I'm their friend. So like if I'm out with them and they meet a friend and they say, you know what, I want you to meet my pastor. That always makes me nervous because I want them to say, you know what, I want you to meet my friend. This is my friend. Oh, by the way, he's also my pastor, but he's my friend. So I would look for those that really think of you first as a friend and as a pastor is very secondary. Mm-hmm. I do think it's one of those roles where we kind of think of that's who you are first. Right. And it's this, it's, it's like a calling that kind of ebbs and flows into every aspect of life. And so I think that's really good. And and even for those who are listening, that that we don't just introduce our you know friends who are pastors as, oh, he, he's a pastor, he you know does this vocationally. And I think in the church in general, we tend to, like if somebody says, hey, I'm, you know, Andrew, you introduce yourself by what do you do? You know, it's one of the first questions we ask. Right. But, but to push, I, I had a, a pastor push me one time saying, when you're getting to know somebody, move beyond the, what do you do? Because you're not who, you, you, you aren't what you do. That's exactly right. Um, you have an identity beyond that. That's so, exactly. And you know what? It just also shuts down conversations if they find out, Oh, you're a pastor. Then all of a sudden it's, oh, for the last five minutes, everything I've been saying, I am so, I didn't know you were a pastor. I hate that. It's like, dude, you don't have to change your language or things you do. You know what? Just be real in yourself. And so I think oftentimes that that can be a massive roadblock. I mean, just in conversations, it's, oh, I didn't know you were a pastor. I don't know if I want to talk to you anymore. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's the last thing I want to be introduced as. Mm -hmm. I think that what we're talking about here is how pastors can fight to have community in their own lives. But I think a lot of times that flows out of having a rich community in a church. Mm-hmm. And so for pastors that are listening and saying, man, I really just wish that that, that my church had, had more networked relationships, like that people were in each other's lives more. What are some steps that pastors can take to, to kind of create that or, or lead that towards that in their own churches? Yeah, I think you want to do everything you can to create just some real true authentic times to, um, just to be engaged with each other. So it might be that you might do some things for the poor in your community. You might find ways to really, really be actively engaged. And I mean, I mean, I could go on and on with that, but I think that it's also just extremely important to know that while you're trying to work towards that, you have to have, you, you there just ha- have to be boundaries though, because I have watched pastors say, okay, I want to become more and more, you know, more involved with my church and I want our church just to really feel like more of a real body, which is obviously great, but that can go to such extremes that all of a sudden they feel like their worth in one sense is 
man, I'm at everything in my church and I'm trying to do everything in my church to create some real strong community. So I'm at everything. And you have to know your church is extremely important, but your church as a pastor is not your primary ministry. It's your family. Your family is your primary ministry. And so I would say that I want you to do everything you can to help your church, but know that it has to have boundaries because it's not your main thing. Your main thing is you're pastoring your family. You care for your family. That's your primary ministry, which means, so when you leave the church elder meeting to go beat your son's soccer game, uh, you're leaving the church ministry to go do your main ministry, to be with your family and to watch your kids and to be with your spouse. Those, those are the most important things in the world. Mm-hmm. So that might have not been the question you were asking. So I no. apologize if I didn't go in the right place. There. Oh, no, that's great. I think that boundary is so important. And I think that a lot of times that feels like it's a moving boundary um, that pastors constantly have to decide between, you know, two different things. And so how, how would you encourage a pastor who's struggling with that? Like, man, there's times where the church and my family are both needing my time. Um, how, how do you walk through that decision? Yeah. Um, one, one, I would say that I think it is the most important thing in the world for every pastor you've got to have in your church. And it's best if they're on the board, you have to have a champion. You have to have a champion that's watching out for you, that asks you questions about your schedule and your family, that asks you questions about your debt, that asks you questions, uh, you know, what, what did you spend money on this week that you weren't paid back for by, you know, from the church? And you just have to have that champion that is so for you that you know this person has my back, period. We have that call so often from pastors who say, listen, I, I don't have a champion and I'm just dying because of that. So I would say that that is one of the most important things in the world is make sure that you have someone that asks you hard questions and really protects you and says, you know what? You need to have this vacation. You know what? It's a part of your package. Take it, take it, do it. We deal with all these pastors who say, well, I haven't had a vacation in three years. It's in my package, but I think it's more godly to, to keep working. And we say, you know, first of all, you're out of your minds. That's very ungodly. That's very, that's very unbiblical. God rested after seven days, not because he was tired, not because there was not work, but to create for us a basic pattern. And you know what? We need to rest. We need to take time and just rest. It's okay. Um, So I think that you need to have a really strong champion saying, man, I want to do everything I can to help you as far as your time away, as far as your study leave, as far as just as far as hours at the church and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would say that, you know, that there have to be boundaries up. Now, there are seasons there are weeks in which you're swamped. There's going to be weeks in which you will have a death in the church, in which there's a massive crisis in the church. We completely understand that. But we have also, through lots and lots of research, found that it, you know that a really healthy work week for a pastor is about 52 hours. If you consistently work way, you know, way, way more than that, if you think, well, I'm a you know, 65 hour a week guy, and it, you know, it's months and months and months, boy, your work quality will just begin to go down very, very quickly. You have to learn how to have boundaries, back away, rest. Of course, there's, you know, hard seasons, there's Christmas, there's Easter, other things. But I mean, overall, you just have to have up those boundaries. And I think that's really wise to have somebody who is advocating for you and and kind of watching over because it is hard. It's hard when you're in the leadership role to advocate for yourself. And I think that's that's really wise. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for being with us. you know, this book is, is so powerful. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes so people can go get a copy. But um, these six relationships, I think a lot of pastors will read this book and identify 
and there's some relationships that I need that I don't have, and we'll go get them. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks, Andrew. It's been great to be here, and it's very, very, very encouraging to me that this podcast clearly loves pastors, and you're doing a great deal to serve pastors and, and the church. So uh, thank you for everything that you're doing. I'm very, very grateful for you in this podcast. Well, that's our heart, so thanks so much. Thanks, brother. Well, thanks again to Jimmy Dodd for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes, and consider sending this episode to someone you know who might be encouraged by its message. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. The show notes always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.